Seinfeld. The understudy is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who love pineapple Italian ice. I'm Rob Sisterino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Two guys who never cry over the movie Beaches. Yes. Yeah. But if we saw it, we probably would. <laughs> probably. Uh, Akiva, I was worried your understudy was going to be here today. Who is my understudy? <laughs> is it Chester? Oh, boy. I'm not. That's why, you know, people could complain about the podcast and say it's too long or, you know, there's too much, uh, you know, nonsense in there. But nobody like we don't need understudies because no one can complain. We've never missed a week. No, we don't miss a week. We've never fully missed a week. And this is episode 110. Yes. We never get your understudy. Always the overstudy here on this podcast. Uh, oh, is overstudy a thing? That's like when someone says the opposite of underdog and they'll say overdog. Which <laughs> LeBron James said this week. Really yeah, no, I only mentioned it because I know that you guys uh, talked about yeah. that on your 32 fans podcast. <laughs> I have a question for you, Rob, yes. actually. I was, I was just thinking about this. Yes. Do you ever think your life is the Truman Show? Do you ever think my life? I've never had that exact thought. No, I don't think so. I, I mean... I mean, uh, not that everybody's watching uh, my life. No, I don't think that that's the case. No? No. Because I, I used to have that thought when I was a kid, and I was just thinking about today, like, how many years ago it would have been canceled, you know? <laughs> like, the, the Ed Harris guy would have, like, come out of, like, the magical, like, theater sky and been like, all right, this is, like, the fourth year in a row. You just, like, sat home 300 nights and, and ate nachos and watched TV. Like, this show has been canceled uh, years ago. Yeah, no, I never uh, really think about that. I did recently read an article where uh, Elon Musk, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. That he said that we're probably all characters in some advanced civilizations video game. Uh, and I tried to wrap my head around that for a little bit. I kind of don't think that that's true either. I don't think so either. Um, I mean, I like. I feel like at least if his life was the Truman Show, it would be more interesting. I mean, at one point, like your show would have been, you know, pretty interesting. You're on TV. You're, you know, you're you you have a podcast yeah, so, empire. Like, does the show within a show thing ever uh, really work out? I mean, I feel like that the making of all these podcasts is probably a boring show. I mean, you could argue that the actual podcasts themselves are pretty boring. Yeah, and like, let's say I was a character in your Truman Show. Mm -hmm. I feel like they'd be super mad at me. Like this. This podcast was supposed to be bigger than cereal, and they're going to like fire me and hire someone else for it. All right, well, let's kill me off. <laughs> then we'd get your understudy in. All right, uh, right, so let's get back to the season six for now. We're burying the lead, Akiva, as we have wrapped up or wrapping up our sixth season of Seinfeld recaps here with the understudy. We celebrated our two year anniversary uh, a couple of days ago here. So congratulations, Akiva. We have made it to the end of season six. Yeah, two years in, a year and change to go. Uh, this is a season finale. I was thinking about all the nine season finales and like what, because they're all over the map, right? So you have, obviously the series finale is like a classic finale, mm -hmm. right? Like big stuff happens. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the invitations next season, classic season, you know, almost ahead of its time, like, you know, killing off a character, a major character in the, in the season finale. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit more like some of the early season, fin you know, another, like I'd say, the two I just mentioned, plus the pilot in season four, that's a real season finale, right? It's an hour long. Major things are happening with the TV show and also the trip, which is, you know, basically to be continued. And it's two parts uh, beforehand and one part afterwards. Um, so, you know, those are the four real ones. And then you have episodes like this one, The Understudy, which is just another episode, basically. Whether you like it or not, there's no finale feel to it, right? Yeah. I mean, there are some big moments and certainly uh, a big 
guest star, I think, is another sort of a trope of the season finale of a TV show. So I think that you do have that in Bette Midler. I think that there are some things that are some throwbacks to other things from season six, like stopping short, for instance. But you're right. It's not like a cliffhanger or anything like that. That sort of needs unresolved business that we have to deal with in the season seven premiere. Yeah. I mean, and just to like wrap up the other finales, you have the Summer of George, which isn't it's not super finale, but it's a great episode and the opposite. But it's a, to- a callback to uh, the stuff from the envelope. Yeah, and and the the opposite is also like a it's a major episode in the show's history, but it's not very finale e. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So this is really, but yeah, this does feel very '90s NBC. This whole episode, right? That like this is what they would have done. Like uh, that night, you could have had like Tom Selleck on Friends, and then you know uh, Alec Baldwin on Carolyn in the City. It was just like you know guest star season finale when Thursday or something. Yes. It's imminently promotable. The Seinfeld finale with Bette Midler. We should really, you know, if we wanted to do extra work, which I don't think we do want to or are going to do, but um, we really should, um, like, come up with the previews, like, mm. off of YouTube and play them. Yeah, that's a good. For next week's episode, we should do that. If yeah. I find them, would you play them if I, if I start Certainly, finding previews? Certainly, like, okay, Akiva, what's coming up next week? All right, well, uh, you tell us about it. Okay, let's get the promo, and then, boom, that's sort of like a tease for what's coming up next week. Okay, so we do it the week before. I think that's fun. Yeah, I think so. The coming attractions. All right. So, Akiva, before we get into talking about the understudy, you got any news, any uh, big Seinfeld things happening in the world? Well, uh, a lot of people um, notified you and myself yesterday that uh, Jerry himself was doing an AMA to promote the new season of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Okay, so we have a list of questions to ask Jerry. Yes, so I didn't want to like really bombard him, but then I realized like, oh, thousands of people writing in. So it's, you can, it's pretty easy. I was looking at like other AMAs and most of them have like a few hundred questions. So if you write in 15 to 20 questions, almost certainly you're going to get one. But he didn't answer a ton of questions and he had like 6,000. Okay. So I was 0 for however many. I, I At one point they said, um, you, you know, you can't write any more, like you can't ask any more questions for 10 minutes. Like Reddit, you know, some bot doesn't let you write in more than however many questions. So I had to like, I started creating new accounts because it takes only like 20 seconds on Reddit. <laughs> yes. So I have some extra Reddit accounts. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Okay. But um, so I asked him, I'll tell you some of the questions I asked him, but uh, it was not to be. And in general, Jerry did not really give any interesting Seinfeld news. So I asked him uh, in the lip reader, you refer to Monica Seltz's return, but she wasn't back yet. She didn't come back from her stabbing until 1995. Why not just stay at Steffi Graf? Mm-hmm. Did it ever bother you when Kramer started getting such large ovations from the audience? Did it take away from the scene? Mm-hmm. In the face painter, there's a deleted scene where George gets engaged to Sienna, played by Katie Silverstone. What's the story behind this? Which really, in my mind now, is other than maybe the pee or poop question, the biggest question we have. Like, this is an insane scene that we had last week that we just have no, there's nothing on historically. No one's ever commented on it. The preeminent question for Jerry of our time. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the episode, The Pie, this was one of your big questions. Why doesn't Audrey eat the apple pie? Yeah. Uh, why do you have a brother in season two, episode three, and it's never mentioned again? Uh, my favorite question, uh, when are you coming on our Seinfeld podcast? Tomorrow works for us. <laughs> did not get answered. And a lot more like that. Uh, but uh, we struck out. Somebody said, can I pitch you like a script, like a new Seinfeld script idea? Yes. And he wrote back, sure, moron. Let's hear what you got. <laughs> well, the, to be fair, the question was, it wasn't just going to pitch it. It's... Uh, my friends and I ate some magic mushrooms and came up with a pretty good Seinfeld plot called The Non-Sitter. 
would you like to hear the basic plot line? Mm-hmm. And he said, sure, moron. And the guy uh, didn't realize that he responded. I guess he wrote it in earlier or something because he writes back. And it's not a bad idea. People really upvoted it. People really liked it. But it's a guy who doesn't sit down. He only stands. So it could have been about you. Yeah. I am sitting right now. So do you only stand when you're on video? No, I sit if I'm on video because I'm worried about I'm going to sway if I'm on video. Oh, I thought you were like super into the standing desk thing. No, I am. But for today, I decided to, uh, to sit down. Sometimes I'm just tired. Okay. Went to Universal yesterday. A lot of walking. Is, uh, Universal is one park. There's, is there a Harry Potter in California? There is Harry Potter just... world, but my kids are too small for that. They don't know anything. Is it all one thing? Uh, yeah, it's all one thing, but there's like an area. There's like a there's like a second level where there's a, a few things on the bottom. But let, let's not get too distracted from the the Seinfeld for my uh, boring Universal Studios stories. Okay. So anything else, or you want to jump into the understudy? I think we'll we, let's get started with the understudy. Let's get started. We got a lot to get to here today. This is season six, episode twenty four. Oh, one other big season six storyline uh, to be tied up here in our in our our big season six finale podcast. One of the big mysteries from season six: what happened to my Seinfeld DVDs? Wouldn't you believe it, Akiva? This morning I found them. It's like the season four finale where Jerry just finds the wallet in the couch. Yeah, but you should have thrown this in in like two episodes from now. So it's totally irrelevant. Just like the right? wallet in the couch. It's like, oh, yeah, here was my dad's wallet the whole time. That no less than about 90 minutes before we're recording this, I found my season six DVD like behind the couch. Yeah, that's pretty. That's I mean, but do you know where your season seven one is? Are you set to go with yeah, season seven? Yeah, it's at the Amazon warehouse uh, that is going to be delivered to me sometime this week. Oh, okay, that's fine. After I purchase it, right. Uh, yeah, I have like... <laughs> I have like a uh, a sock that I wound up with rubber bands and I sort of like uh, hit it like a baseball that I can't break anything around my office. And the baseball went behind the couch and then I found the DVD. That's amazing. Yeah. Truly an incredible story. An incredible story. All right. So let's go back to May 18th, 1995 for the season six finale written by the late, great Marjorie Gross and Carol Leifer. Or is it Leifer? It was, it was on my question list, but I, I didn't think it would really... Uh, People get mad when we say, answer. is it Leifer? People say it's obviously Leifer. Okay. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, the understudy. No stand-up whatsoever in this episode. We open up with Jerry and his girlfriend, Janice. Is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, yeah. I think uh, this is the first episode without stand-up, by the way. Okay. So, and of course, next season we'll have it. But, you know, after season seven, there is no more stand-up. All right. So... No stand-up here, and uh, Jerry is watching the movie Beaches uh, with his new girlfriend, Janice, uh, the titular understudy in this episode. Eponymous understudy. Yeah. So uh, they are sitting on the couch. Now, Jerry is off to the left-hand side of the room. He is in the uh, easy chair with the recliner. What would you call it? That doesn't recline. So what do you call that? Just like a one-seater. That's like the dad chair. That's like the chair the dad gets to sit in. Yeah. And then she is sitting on the couch and she's sobbing over the movie Beaches and Jerry, it's the return of the Jerry internal monologue. He's debating whether or not he should go over there. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, it needs to be said and it's addressed but not explained in the episode. Why are they watching a movie sitting 14 feet apart from each other? It doesn't make any sense. You know, if this was like some sort of like a coworker or professional, like the, that this is the weirdest sort of setup for a date. I know uh, Chester mentions this in his email about this, but it, there's no way that you would have a date with this woman and then sit so far apart. I mean, this is like how I sit and watch a movie with my wife. Yeah, it's, it's just too far. Like even a, a coworker, you'd probably sit closer to. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. So just the whole setup of this is uh, totally cockamamie. Uh, was Beaches just on TV? Did they rent Beaches? I mean, why are they even watching Beaches? I will say Beaches was on the WB um, a lot in the in the late 90s, right? That was like it was frequently in rotation there. Okay. So it is very possible they just kind of caught it while they were flipping through the, the channels. No, but it's 1995. I mean, what year does Beaches come out? Uh, that's a good question, right? I think a little later on it would be like... Was it 92? On. Sorry, no, 1988. Okay, so maybe okay, it could so be yeah, on. It could, have been on, it could have made the WB by then. could be on rotation in uh, WB11 or, or WPIX11 at that point in time. Uh, did you ever see the movie Beaches, Keeve? No, many you know, movies. It, was, it was definitely on, um, you know, I like I've probably seen seconds of it, but I've certainly never seen the whole movie. You know, Beaches gave the big break to one of your other favorites, uh, Mayim Bialik. Oh, yeah. She was a kid in Beaches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have never seen the movie Beaches. I've never really I don't think I've ever seen more than a minute of it. I know my sister used to watch it all the time. And that was probably why it was a big turnoff to me. Like anything that was like, oh, my sister really likes this. OK, I know this is probably stupid. Uh, Chester got mad at me once because I denigrated my Bialik on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, why? He's, he's very pro Bialik. What's his take on the Big Bang Theory? I don't think he watches it, but he, I think he just likes Maya Bialik, and he was mad that I insulted her. Okay, well, I know you are uh, very against all things that she's done. So. No, I don't hate her. I did, she's a little too hippie for me. Mm-hmm. So, no, I have never seen Beaches. No, it's a very sad movie. But uh, So Janice is uh, crying about uh, having seen the ending of Beaches and the song The Wind Beneath My Wings is playing. And so we come back to now it's a little bit later. It's like the next day. Jerry and George are sort of doing an accounting of all of this. And George wants to know where she was sitting. George doesn't really ask, like, wait, hold on. If this is a date, why are you sitting so far away from her? Yeah, no, it should be asked. I mean, and George, is, you know, we've seen George watch a movie sitting on top of like a stranger 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly willing to sit next to anybody. George would not be on the other couch. Yeah. All right. So we set up this whole thing with the softball league. And so Jerry and George both play for the improv softball team. And today they are playing the cast of Rochelle, Rochelle, the musical, which Jerry's girlfriend, Janice, happens to be part of the cast of. She's the understudy to Bette Midler, who's the star of Rochelle, Rochelle, the musical. Okay, are you following all this? Yes. Okay. So far. All right. <laughs> I don't know who's not following all this. It's very good. But, but, but in terms of the amount of coincidences going on here, uh, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. And like I there, there definitely is a thing where like different organizations around the city will maybe, you know, may have a, a, a baseball team that will play another team. I feel like Broadway plays, they come and go so quickly. It seems like they would not be for many reasons. They would not be likely to be the ones to have the softball team. <laughs> yeah, you know, you the Broadway plays could so. be canceled after two weeks. Like, does the softball team play the whole season then? I'm not sure. Now, I was all ready to come on here and say, this is so implausible, everything that's going on here. I mean, what are the chances that not only would the Rochelle Rochelle show have a softball team, that Bette Midler is playing for the softball team? But in the inside look, Jerry talks about how these Broadway shows would have a softball team and said that you might be playing against Al Pacino in one of these leagues. I wonder if that was of a time and a place, and if that still is going on. Is there a Hamilton softball team? Oh, that's a good question. We got it. <laughs> Mike Bloom will get on that. He'll probably know. Get on that. 
I think if you ask, like, if Brett Midler, if Bette Midler's in a Broadway play now, and you asked her to be on the softball team, like that PA gets fired for asking her, right? Uh, Bette Midler, I wouldn't imagine, is coming to dress rehearsals that they're doing of these Broadway. Oh, no plays. question. Yeah, you're lucky if she shows up for you know the first act of so, you know, until she's in it. Has it ever happened before? I guess so. Seems super implausible that <laughs> Bette Midler is coming to is playing on the softball team. For Rochelle, Rochelle, the musical. But fine, let's let's go with it for the sake of everything that has to happen in this episode. Also, Kramer is a huge Bette Midler fan. So Kramer is obsessed with Bette Midler, that Jerry happens to be dating a woman who's Bette Midler's understudy, and they happen to be playing that team in softball. Now, did Jerry meet Janice because she's in the softball league, or is this even a huger coincidence? Yeah, it's a good question, because unless this league has four teams in it, it seems unlikely that this Broadway play that hasn't even opened yet, right? Or mm-hmm. I, do we know if it's opened yet? Um, I'm not I sure. I think it has opened probably. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that this Broadway play would have already played, like how big is the league that like they've already had a game and Jerry met her? Yeah, the only thing that makes sense is that they've played this softball team before earlier in the season and Jerry hit it off with this woman who happens to be Bette Midler's understudy. Otherwise, the whole thing is so such a crazy coincidence. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. It makes the most sense for it to have been like this is their second or third. They're in the same division, you know. <laughs> they play 18 times during the season. The unbalanced schedule in the softball yes. league. All right. Uh, also, there's a lot of bashing of understudies in this episode. It seems like the writers of Seinfeld seem to have an axe to grind with understudies as a profession. Yeah, and uh, in or TV, as a practice. Sure. In TV, I think it's called the stand-in, right? Not on Broadway, it might be an understudy. Well, they also bashed the stand-ins uh, when Kramer and Mickey were stand-ins on the soap opera. Sure, and and you know the stand-ins are kind of weird, or they're not really stand-ins, I guess. They're um, you know on the pilot, they're sort of like the you know they're just playing them. Although I do believe that I think the Kramer, well, I think one of them was the was the stand-in. Like maybe the guy who plays Kramer was Kramer's stand-in or something mm-hmm. like. I think one of the stand-ins was something. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Kramer calls them a very shifty bunch. Uh, they're the substitute teachers of the theater world. Uh, and then George starts talking about how going backstage is the worst. I think Amir has an email about that uh, take specifically. And he talks about how much that sucks when you date an actress. You have to go backstage. And then even more bizarre is that Jerry then does like a whole rant, like breaking the fourth wall. To camera. Yeah, I didn't view that as a fourth wall break. I viewed it as like George is listening from behind kind of thing. So why is Jerry looking directely into the camera, like talking to the audience? Yeah, it's a good question, but I, I definitely Who have is never he talking viewed that. To? I think he's sort of doing a bit to himself, which he probably does sometimes. And George is like semi in the area, still able to hear it. So the bit is that the imaginary actress that he's talking to is like in her dressing room and he's like pretending to be looking in the dressing room. But yes. I mean, he's real. He's looking right into camera, uh, just like earlier in the season when he winks at the camera at the end of an episode. This felt very much to me like Jerry breaking the fourth wall. I don't I don't think it's a fourth wall break. I hear what you're saying. You make a decent case, but I, I, I think they, they're not doing that in the middle of an episode here. I, I think he's just doing a bit. All right. Uh, let's go to Elaine at Ruby's Nail Parlor uh, where they are doing manicures. Elaine is late. Uh, she tells the women about how she is in a bit of a rush. And the women in Korean start mocking Elaine. They call her princess. Mustn't keep the princess waiting. Princess is in a big hurry. Poor princess. 
Uh, yeah. What do you What do you think about these scenes in the in the nail salon or parlor or whatever it's called? Well, I do feel like that this definitely is a thing that I feel like that people are always worried about uh, people talking about them in a foreign language. And I think that it's also the thing where it's like it's become so ubiquitous in terms of like worrying about this that it feels like this is hack, but it probably Seinfeld got here first. That's fine. But my like, is there too much of a negative edit towards the Korean ladies here? Do the Koreans get a bad edit? Um... Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, I feel like that of the things that I feel like that don't hold up, but I, I don't think that it was anything that was uh, in particular negative to Koreans. I think that you could have had this be a different business and have them be uh, Russian or German or any sort of nationality. I feel like that um, other than maybe saying that because it's a nail salon that they had to be Korean. I don't think that there was anything that I found to be particularly off-putting. Yeah, there was an award-winning uh, New York Times article last year about like the bad conditions in Korean nail, nail salons and how like poorly the ladies get treated. And like you know, there's in, the, in Manhattan, there's like an insane amount of places you could get your, your nails done. Mm-hmm. Like if you were an alien who came down from Earth and like knew everything about the culture, you'd assume that there was like thirty in the city, and there's like five hundred. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they can all stay afloat, especially since, like, a manicure is not that much money, like a basic manicure. Mm-hmm. Um, my only, I, have you ever gotten your nails done? No. The, my only sort of, like, Korean lady nail salon story is when I was a special needs teacher, I somehow, me and another girl, uh, I guess we were the two youngest teachers, so we somehow got suckered into being on for lunch, which means, like, twice a week we'd have to take the kids to, like, a, a short walk, you know, across the street to, like, a pizza shop. Yeah. And, you know, they would bring money and it's, it was like a life skills thing where like they had to bring their wallets. They had to like count out how much money, you know, it was very useful for them. Uh, it was hard work for us because there was like 20 of them in a public place and we're just two. And normally you'd have a better ratio for like special needs kids, but whatever. So one time we went, we're like, hey, let, you know, the kids were complaining that we always go to the pizza store. They said, let's go like a little further away to a different restaurant. And I said, OK, they're, they're well behaved. Let's try it. So we start walking and one kid runs ahead and he runs into a nail salon. And he screams something really, he's like a 14-year-old boy. He screams something really inappropriate into the nail salon. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but it was, uh, it was like something about the lady's anatomy, I think. Okay. So now it's like, and it's also hard because we're only two and like, you know, one of us has kind of got to be in the front and one of us has to be in the back. So I said to uh, the, whatever her name was, Jenna or something, I said, you know, can you just like go in and, uh, and tell the you know, like tell the lady, like, you know, he's, he's, you know, especially his kid. Like he, he, he says this all the time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And she goes in she comes out. She's like, uh, your mom was in the nail salon. And she explained it already to the kid, <laughs> to the, to the Korean lady. What are the odds that like this kid runs away from us, runs into like in the middle of the day, like the nail salon. And my mom is the one lady sitting in there getting your nails done. And like, they explain, oh, no, 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 that's my son's student. Don't worry about it. Like, uh, it was really your mom. It wasn't like a case of like, no, uh, no, my mom was actually like <laughs> in the middle of the day. Wow. In the, in this, in this, I mean, it was like two blocks, but you know, we worked where I worked and where she worked was only a couple blocks away, but uh, it was just a pretty random story. But anyway, I don't remember like what level her English was, but they were, she wasn't too mad that she had this uh, guy come in and yell at her. Okay. So Elaine now somehow makes her way down to the baseball field. What do we assume? The Central Park? Yeah, it's Central. Like what, they have like a lot of baseball fields in Central Park. Okay. So Elaine makes it down there seemingly for the only reason to tell this story to Jerry. And she comes down there 
And she claims that the women in the nail salon are using the same word that they use to describe a dog, which is geh, geh, geh. Uh, I looked this up on Google Translate. I think it's G-E-H. I don't think I'm uh, pronouncing it correctly. But we don't see the women in the nail salon call her dog. They're calling her princess over and over again. Yeah, what, what, where does that go? Well, because Kramer's like, well, you don't know. Maybe dog is like fox. So maybe yeah, it's sort we of don't like, really know. Like, we don't know enough about Korean to be in on it. I'm not sure exactly what she meant. Right. But so I think that maybe they're sort of like trying to cast some doubt of, oh, are they talking about me or not? So Jerry volunteers the information. You know who speaks Korean? Uh, Frank Costanza. You should get him. Now, allegedly now, Frank Costanza's line of work is that he sold religious articles of the statue of Jesus and the Virgin Mary that were manufactured in Korea. Uh, Keeve, you track yeah. this probably closer than I do. Uh, now, what do we know about the religious background of the Costanzas? Oh, the religious background? I think what we established was that Estelle is Jewish and Frank is uh, is is Christian. Okay. All right. Is this canon? Does this hold up that that Frank Costanza sells religious artifacts? I mean, we've definitely heard a bunch of Frank Costanza's jobs before, but I do he, I feel like he's one of these floating salesman type of guys, right? That he uh, you know, that he's he like he's, you know, he's he's been through a lot of jobs. Importer all, exporter? He, he, yeah, he's not the type of guy who can have a boss and keep a job for a long time. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, Frank Santa speaks Korean. He once bumped into the Reverend Young Sun Moon, uh, who we will hear a little bit more about uh, later on. Okay. So then here comes Janice. Uh, We get an introduction to her, to Kramer. Uh, She's not playing today. Uh, She's the understudy, apparently, for Bette Midler on the softball field as well. Yeah, couldn't find a spot for her in the lineup. (laughs) Super sub. Uh, and she is eating a hot dog and she drops the hot dog on the ground and becomes inconsolable about the Frankfurter, as she says. Yes, she calls she calls it a Frankfurter, which I, I made a note, which was a uh, third most dated thing in the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> OK, like our grandmas wouldn't use the word Frankfurter. Like anymore. Frankfurter. Uh, it is a funnier word than hot dog. Uh, but uh, I mean, how good could that hot dog have been? Yeah, I mean, what was it, like one of these cart, you know, yeah. New York City hot dogs? You could get another one back then for a dollar. <laughs> it would have been easier for Jerry to just run and get her a new one. All right, so now here comes Bette Midler. She comes in with like a whole entourage uh, to the softball field. And uh, here she is. And Kramer is running up to her and talking about how, oh, I've loved you and everything you've done. Can I get you anything? Uh, water, ice. Uh, and she wants to know what flavors do they have? Uh, Kramer tells her chocolate, lemon, and cherry. She asks for pineapple. Keeve, does Bette Midler only eat pineapple Italian ice, or was this her blow off of Kramer? Oh, this is very like there's like almost like a subtle, very subtle wink there. Like she's clearly getting him away from her. Okay, like this should keep him busy all day. Also, like you mentioned that she comes in with this like uh, you know cohort of people. Right, she's got a whole posse. They're never to be seen again. Like she's bed like are we to believe that Bed Midler's just like in a room in this hospital in Manhattan all alone other than this new dude that's a weirdo that she just met? Like she's got no team, Bet Midler. Yeah. No family, no friends, no team. Well, I wonder, did she lay off the squad following the softball debacle? Like did was the Bet Midler team 
saying to her, oh, bet you got to play in the softball game. We got to, oh, this will be such good PR for you. that They'll see you with the people out there playing softball. And Bette yeah, Midler. Yeah, we'll have a picture on like page six, Bette Midler swinging, hitting the double. She's just like us, right. And then maybe Bette Midler is like, no, I'm not going to the softball game. I, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, no, trust us, Bette. This will be a good thing for you. And then she gets injured at the softball game. She lays everybody off. The only person she feels like that she can trust is this new lunatic who is willing to move heaven and earth to find pineapple Italian ice. It's a good point. Yeah, she may have cleared house after this incident. <laughs> you know, it's interesting about Bette Midler in this episode because in the inside look, uh, they talk a little bit about how, you know, that um, Jason Alexander says, you know, the only thing I had heard about uh, Bette Midler before this was that she's a bit of a tough cookie uh, to work with. People seem to have like some like uh, anecdotes about her on the set. You get the feeling that she might have been a pain in the you-know-what on the set. Oh, yeah, which, by the way, if you're inviting Bette Midler to set here as a guest star, like, you know what you're getting with Bette Midler, no? I think so, but I think she kind of lives up to the hype, because I feel like if she wasn't... I would be disappointed if she came and was pleasant. Right. I think she lives up to the hype in that if she was anything but a pain in the neck, I think that they would be falling over themselves to say, oh, my God, Bette Midler was so amazing on the set we had the best time you would think that they would try to get her back in for the finale uh i think that they probably like got whatever they could get out of bet midler and then just moved on i think i think you're correct there yeah uh there's a story about how they, they try to tell her like they want to recreate the things she's like i don't know the lines uh and she doesn't want to have hold the script or anything she didn't seem like she's uh super agreeable to anything no i mean i'm almost surprised like that's the type of person that this show would like generally avoid to begin with <laughs> well they said that she was like show she made a lot of jokes about like uh, was this a mistake to do this I'm like i don't know if she was joking yeah I, <laughs> I i would i would bet a lot of money she had never seen an episode of seinfeld probably not all right so uh, so here we are at Monks and, you know, we talk about this uh, from time to time and, and a lot recently about the space time continuum of Seinfeld. And is the order of the scenes, the order in which these events are happening? key? This one really stretches the limits of the possibilities of these characters. Uh, Elaine is at the softball field. Jerry says, hey, you know who you should talk to? Frank Costanza, the softball game is still going on. Elaine has now made it to monks with Frank Costanza. Right. Without a cell phone also. Mm-hmm. And Frank Costanza, who lives in Queens. Yes. Well, we don't totally know where he's living now. We think he's living near his house in Queens. He hasn't moved in yet as far as we know, right? Right. Okay. But here she is. Uh, she is at monks with Frank Costanza. And... Uh, she is telling him about the whole issue uh, with the Koreans. She wants him to come in and maybe that he could get a pedicure. He will not be getting a pedicure. He has uh, what you would call a foot odor problem. Uh, yes, he, uh, a very embarrassing problem, it sounds like. <laughs> he will not take his shoes off. Uh, no pedicure for Frank Costanza. And he talks about how uh, he did once uh, work with the Reverend uh, Young Sun Moon. He had a face like a big apple pie. Yeah, shots fired at Young Sun Moon. And Poppy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> All right. So back at the softball game. Uh, so there's some interesting stuff going on. Uh, so Jerry is now the pitcher for the softball game. Uh, did you? Uh, is that a new fact that we've learned? Jerry is the pitcher for the softball team. I mean, I could see George being the catcher. 
it's a little surprising that he's the pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Well, you need to have them involved with everything at the play. Uh, Bette Midler is up at bat. Uh, George is heckling her about uh, wind beneath my wing. Uh, give me a break. Uh, and she has uh, she zings him. Talks about uh, get some talent before you start talking. Yeah. Um, she points to the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I'm win. I'm Bette Midler. You're uh, George Costanza. Also, d- does it bother you at all that? Jerry and George's comedy, uh, you know, improv team. You never see another person on the team besides the two of them. <laughs> there like, are they other... really save money on extras here. Like yeah. you literally just see the two of them. Like at the chase, it's just them. When you know, when 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 uh, you know the play at the plate. When everyone's rushing the field, you only see the two of them. They're, they're not even in the background. Like even when he's pitching, there's no shortstop behind Jerry. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> they really cheaped out on the improv team. I feel like that there were some other people in that white shirt, but I have to go back and and and, and take a look. Could have had like Banya behind him. You could have, you know, you could have had some. Uh, yeah, we got to pay for. We got to pay Banya. Yeah, that's true. Banya doesn't work free. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't work free. You got to at least pay him in a, pay him in a meal. Yeah, I have the episode open now that I have the DVD and I'm like scrubbing through and I don't see anybody else in the. Uh, no, I don't think you I don't think they exist. I do not believe that there's a, no, a third person with an improv shirt on. No, there are some other people like I'm looking at the scene. Maybe at with, the very beginning when before they start playing. Yeah. When they're tossing the ball around with when Janice is eating the Frankfurter. Uh, there yeah. are some guys Once the in game the game starts never again. <laughs> Maybe it was like another day of filming or, or you know. Yeah, there's definitely people in the white and red shirt of the Bette Midler group. Uh, but then, I'm trying to say, now there is a shortstop behind Jerry and a center fielder when he's pitching to Bette Midler. Really? I, in, a lot of, in a lot of the cuts, there is nobody behind Jerry. Okay, so now, does it bother you that Bette Midler strikes out on a called strike three in the softball game? Why, you think there are no called strike threes in softball? There are, but I feel like that the pitch needs to be a high enough arc, and it looks like a very low pitch that Bette Midler strikes out. And you'd figure that Bette Midler is getting the, you know, any all the 50-50 calls, which yeah. is Bette Midler. <laughs> you would think so. But listen, if I was a an umpire for, uh, you know, like this softball game, and I got paid per game, I'm just calling everything a strike. Yeah. Um, Anything near the plate is being a, is a strike. Yeah. Now, did you watch the deleted scenes? Sure. In the deleted scenes, Bette Midler talks to one of the other people on the Rochelle Rochelle team, and a guy tells her before the game, like, hey, this pitcher, uh, that he's the understudy's boyfriend. And Bette Midler is like, okay, good. Thanks for the tip. Uh, in what way is that a tip? Yeah. It's, uh, there's a reason why it didn't make the episode. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. Like, there has to be more context there. Are they trying to imply that, like, she would just assume from there that, like, he's going to try and injure her? Yes. Or they just want they want her to know that, like, so she could understand what's going on right away? Well. That, like, this is intentional? It doesn't make any sense. You know, um, recently, uh, Game of Thrones tapped into this uh, same sort of storyline of an understudy. Well, you know, I'm two episodes behind, so don't spoil me. <laughs> trying to bring in a team of assassins to take out the actress very popular in pop culture right now yeah they were just 20 years ahead of uh, their time <laughs> how could she afford uh, those uh, top assassins okay oh that's uh, true it's a good question <laughs> yeah it's very very important all right so then we go back to monks uh this is all playing out uh frank costanza reveals that he once had an affair with a korean woman now akiva how does frank costanza mean did he cheat on estelle with a Korean woman, or is he saying that he once had a love affair 
with mm. a Korean woman before he met Estelle. No, nah, he's been married for a long time. This is a this is a cheating. Okay, so he cheated on. I feel like that that we never find out about this. That I mean, there is. No. Well, that's why he, he he says to Elaine, like, oh, no, I need to tell you about this. I need to unburden myself because he's never discussed this with anybody in his life before. Probably it happened in South Korea. And, you know, the I mean, he says Korean. So in theory, it could have been North Korea. But no, I don't think so. Um, is it possible, uh, though, this is pre Estelle? Uh, so the Korean War is from 1950 to 1953. How old is George Costanza? I, I mean, I always feel like that they sort of like a contemporary of uh, my my parents. Uh, my dad was born in 1950. Um, feel like that. Uh, I feel like that. I mean, that George Costanza is uh, is born already, and and Frank Costanza is out with women from. No, George is born uh, in, like 1960. Okay, 1960. Okay. So then this could possibly be just like a love affair. Yeah, but why would he say affair then? Why does Frank Costanza say anything he says? Yeah, I feel like affair is, is pretty Add it clear. to the list. This affair that Frank He's, he's going to laugh at you there. He's going to be like, no, we said affair. Like, some, you know, some of our questions are pretty reasonable. I feel like this is, this is obvious. If you, <laughs> if you introduce the fact that Frank Costanza had an extramarital affair... Like, don't you feel like at some point Estelle needs to learn about the extramarital affair? I mean, George never finds out that his father cheated on his mother with a Korean woman. I mean, this is huge information to the series. I mean, you can't have this introduced and then not have it pay off in some way. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I just don't. I mean, first of all, like he's still married. Yes, they're separated, but he's cheating on on Estelle in this episode (laughs) with another woman. With yeah. I guess with the same woman, but with you know, he's, he's certainly married here. <laughs> well, that's another part of my question: of was that an intentional stop short or not? Oh yeah, this is intentional. <laughs> no question. Look at it. He he's like looking. He's planning it. You see him plotting it in his eye. That's intentional. <laughs> okay. Another problem was that he wouldn't take off his shoes in her father's house, and the father got so mad, uh, and he would yell in Korean, which was translated to this guy. This is not my kind of guy, <laughs> which is such a funny line. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. Uh, and again, in the inside look, Jerry talks about how this comes from a tape of this guy who was like a jazz drummer who had like uh, these rants. Uh, and that was a line from one of the rants. Yeah, I don't. I still I'm still hung up on the on the affair thing. It's a it's an affair, Rob. OK. Uh, all right. Fine. <laughs> then. Uh, I just feel like that that's sort of a, a really burying the lead. I feel like this is a really big deal. Of, well, uh, he, it is Frank a big Costanza. deal. He, he's like he has to Elaine like Elaine has to sit there and hear his whole speech before he's willing to, you know, do her this favor of going to the nail salon because it's a big deal to him. He's Does never told anybody. Elaine before. ever mentioned this to George. Maybe off screen. <laughs> well, we have, I mean, a, we have a whole summer now. This could, Rob, this could have been like, this, this could have been the whole, what happens in the summer? They can't do nothing for three months when we're not watching the show. Didn't you well, yourself say nothing interesting happens off screen? Nothing interesting happens between weeks. But are we to believe that nothing, that they just do nothing for an entire summer from May to September? Sure, they do something, but nothing of note. Yeah. Now, this is really the question for, uh, you know, for, uh, for Jerry. Like, what happens when we're not watching? That was one of our questions. I didn't ask it. 
right. I, like I knew realistically he wasn't going to answer a question like that. Uh, Kramer is on the hunt for Italian ice. Uh, I had skipped over the first Italian ice vendor that he hits up, uh, who only has, uh, tutti frutti. <laughs> yeah. What does he have? Cherry, lemon, and tutti frutti. <laughs> oh, chocolate. Yeah. I love the way that that guy says tutti frutti. Yeah. Okay. Uh, strong line from that guy. All right. Finally, uh, Kramer gets pineapple. He is on the move back to the baseball field where Bette Midler is. And so now Bette Midler, she is the opposing team's catcher. She's giving it back to George. Uh, she's like, move it in, move it in, everybody. Get your shrimp here. Shrimp on special. Uh, boy, you, uh, George is always the victim of these uh, shrimp insults. Uh, we know uh, going forward that uh, he is going to get burned by, uh, hey, George, the ocean called. Uh, they want their shrimp back. Yes, um, I, I, it seems like that was an insult in the nineties. Like, what were what were the what were like the the, the baseball field insults you remember? Mm. <laughs> Most of them were umpire related, like you know, like the you know, umpires blind. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like, um, you know, there's a lot of encouragement being yelled when you're on the baseball field, right? There's a lot of like, good eye, good eye, you know, walks as good of a hit. Yeah, uh, and that I feel like that stuff is very nineties. Maybe it's just because like I played the league when I was a little kid, and now I haven't been around a baseball field in twenty years. But I don't know. I don't know if like the shrimp thing was actually like a, a trope back then. Yeah, I feel like I heard a lot of insults on the baseball field. I don't know if shrimp was one of them. No, I've never heard that, <laughs> but uh, I, I, it has to come from somewhere. All right, so now George is up, and he lays into a pitch. Uh, runs around the bases. Uh, I think you might have been able to call him out of the baseline even at one point. I mean, he does like a uh, a uh, super round turn, around, like uh, seemingly running around the back of the shortstop as he was running around the bases. Uh, and so he is going to go for it. He is running home. Uh, in the deleted scene, they talk about, uh, there's some talk about whether he tried to leg out a triple into a home run. Uh, if he should have stayed on third base. Uh, but George claims he was waved in in the deleted scene. And we end up setting up a collision at the plate between George Costanza and Bette Midler. Yeah, first of all, I think the, there's no reason for the umpire to, like, again, there's, he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just a lot, 10 minutes of arguing. Everyone runs onto the field. He's safe. He's out. Plus, we, you know, then we'd figure out that there's nobody on the other team. It would be complicated. So what are you saying? That he should just call uh, George out? No, he shouldn't bother. Like, that's too big of a deal to make that call. Yeah. So you think that he just has to call George safe or, or he shouldn't even make a, a, make a no, call? That's, no, don't make that call. It's, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's a huge deal to say someone's out of the base paths on third base. Oh, oh, oh okay. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah. Uh, but what about the play at the plate? This is really what okay. we need to do. Yeah, so the play at the plate... Um, uh, I think Johnny DeSilvera points out, like, he never touches home. Yeah, I have so, uh, watched this a couple times now. Uh, George Costanza never touches home plate. Yeah, he definitely never touches it. Yeah. Uh, a bad job by, by you know, the editors and everyone there not to, not to put that in. Um, I think now he'd be, he'd be called out anyway, right? Haven't they changed this rule? Well, they've changed it in Major League Baseball that the catcher needs to give a lane for the base runner to slide home. Now, I do think that the call on the field is the correct one because uh, based on the uh, Major League Baseball rules of the Joe Torre administration, uh, that Bette Midler, the ball is knocked out of her hands. If I believe the ball was picked up by Bette Midler and she tagged George at any point, he would be out. 
but I don't think that he gets called out because he never touched the plate. I think that he would have to be tagged and then he can be called out for not touching the plate. Correct. But either way, like nothing has happened yet. He's not safe or out. Right. From what we've seen on screen. Right. He should be. He is safe until they tag him. Uh, but they did not tag him. The ball goes flying out of Bette Midler's hands uh, that she should give him a lane, though. She is blocking the plate. Yeah, no, there's no in, there's no innocent parties here, really. Well, but in 1995, I mean, she did it. That was the correct play. Uh, Keith, I played in an intramural softball team uh, my freshman year of college, uh, and I did play the catcher. And I believe in the first game, I had a similar experience where I was completely bowled over by a huge guy in a play at the plate. Yeah, terrible job. Like, if if Bette Miller's playing, she's got to be in right field, maybe second base. Like, you can't have her playing catcher. Like, she could get hit by, you know... A, a pop up, you know, uh, a, the like a tip ball mm-hmm. from a batter could hit her. Like that's way too. Like there's no way the insurance company would even let her play catcher. Yeah, if she wanted so, to play, right? A lot of people got fired for this for this incident. Well, that's Many what we're saying. Rolled. Her whole team is uh, is fired. For I mean, it's insane that everyone gets fired, but Janice somehow keeps her job. I guess there's no third understudies. They either have to cancel the play or or let her play it. But she's like the real enemy. Like everyone believes that she's the guilty party here, right? Yes. And they still and they still let her like be the star of the show. Well, she's the understudy. She's the only person that knows all the lines. You know, Mike Bloom, or actually we have a new Broadway correspondent. I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick has also volunteered to be a Broadway correspondent. Yes. Um, so he may know this also, but like I, I think this with like Hamilton or whatever, you, there's got to be at least a third person who knows the, who knows the part. Because like, let's say... Someone, you know, because there's a lot of injuries on Broadway. Let's say someone gets sick or they get hurt or they quit the they quit a show. Right. Mm-hmm. There can't only be one person in the whole, you know, production that could do that part now because they can't do it. You know, they need their day. I think everyone gets a day off. Right. You do like seven. You're or eight saying shows a week. that every Broadway show has an emergency catcher. I think that they must. There has to be like a couple people who could sort of play. You know, there are people who know the whole play who could sort of pinch it for there's probably like two men and two women that could sort of like. It's in an emergency, be like the third stringer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has to be. It's not like when your left fielder comes in to pitch the ninth because you're down 15 to 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I a- do think. But my, we'll get an answer from this from uh, Mike or, or Brendan for next week. All right. We'll find out about this. And so Kramer comes running in. He is the only person who is giving aid to Bette Midler. Now, it does not seem as though he is handling a head or neck injury in the correct way. Uh, they say you're not supposed to move somebody. Uh, who has had any sort of injury like this. Again, it's a uh, pre-concussion, pre-CTE world. So I don't know if Kramer knows the ins and outs of handling a head injury. No, it was a lot of shake it off back then, right? Yeah, well. I think that's what the Taylor Swift song was about even. He's holding her. He's trying to feed her pineapple Italian ice singing, uh, You're the Wind Beneath My Wings. And we end up seeing uh, a bunch of people like calling out, Jerry and George, they've done this. They end up being chased off the field by uh, the cast of Rochelle Rochelle. Yeah, uh, probably in six seasons and 110 episodes, the stupidest thing we've seen so far. (laughs) All right. I want to talk to you about the play Rochelle Rochelle. Of course, uh, that we know the film, which the play was adapted from, the one young woman's erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. Keeve, who does Bette Midler play in Rochelle Rochelle? I think she plays the young woman. She plays the titular Rochelle, the young woman 
on an erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. That's Bette Midler. Yeah, eponymous, but yes. How is that possible? How is Bette Midler playing the young woman on an erotic journey from Milan to Minsk? Let me ask you a question. How are Bette Midler and Janice playing the same role? <laughs> Checkmate, <laughs> which is another movie. That they another, another musical. <laughs> that To me, like, uh, Bette Midler has to be playing Rochelle. I mean, from the scenes that we hear in the movie about... Uh, bet about Rochelle. Uh, it's like, hey, get out of those uh wet clothes that you've uh, been traveling in. Uh, Bette Midler sings the chorus to uh Rochelle, Rochelle, which is, well, you made a long journey from Milan to Minsk, Rochelle, Rochelle. Now, is she talking about herself in the third person? Yeah, I mean, if Broadway plays, you could sing about yourself. I don't think that's out of the question, right? You never stopped hoping, and now you're in Pinsk. Rochelle, Rochelle, when the naysayers nay, you pick up your pace, so nothing's going to stop me, so get out of my face, I'm having adventures all over the place, Rochelle, Rochelle. So is she Rochelle, or is she like some sort of companion of Rochelle on this journey? Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm going to tweet at Bette Midler and ask her. <laughs> We should does get Bette have a Twitter? I, I didn't think she does, but she does. You want to hear some sad news? What is it? Well, really, with the bump, with the with the Seinfeld podcast about nothing bump, she's going to hit a million because she's only uh, two hundred ninety one uh, followers short of a million right now. <laughs> she's at oh, well over nine hundred ninety nine thousand. She tweets a lot. Wow. Oh, you know, I did know she tweets because I think she got into a Twitter war with Kim Kardashian. Oh, yeah, yeah. She said something that was on about the news, like, that uh, Kim Kardashian needs to like swallow the camera to show us something we haven't seen before or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a good line, actually. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm Team Bette Midler here. Um, the, I think, oh, by the way, speaking of tweeting at actresses, we have uh, Christine from Wisconsin, who's, who's going through the whole yes. series again, tweeted at Tony Katane, who, if you remember from an earlier episode, I tweeted a... Uh, uh, we tried to, on air, tried to see if Tony Katane would respond to uh, just like a compliment I think I gave. Okay. I'm not sure what our purpose was. Maybe <laughs> someone who's heard the episode recently could tell me. But uh, so she didn't. But then like Christine heard it and is like, hey, you never responded. And like Tony's like, ah, sorry, I missed it. Blah, blah, blah. And she responded to Christine. Okay. All right. So Tony's, in, Tony's on board with the podcast. When we get to the finale of Seinfeld, and in that podcast, we're going to have cameos from all the different people that we mentioned. Uh, <laughs> all the guests no question. But you know who we're probably not going to get? So yes. Bette Midler, just to, you know, to talk about your point of like who's playing Rochelle, Rochelle. Bette Midler is 49 when this episode airs. Mm -hmm. the, the actress who, who plays Jen, Janice, is, uh, her name is Adelaide Miller. Yeah. Um, less is known about her than I think anyone we've encountered who has a speaking role in the series. She's in, she's got five credits on IMDb. This is by far the biggest one. Can't find her anywhere on the internet. She seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. I have no age on her, but let's say she's in her early 30s at the, probably the the highest okay she looks pretty young so it's a you know maybe a 16 year gap at you know at least between bet midler and adelaide uh oh is it adelaide miller and bet midler no relation um so I, yeah I, that is kind of crazy but uh listen you're not going to get for bet midler you're willing to you know move the age up a little bit to me it just is uh <laughs> it's very implausible in terms of like that rochelle rochelle is an erotic uh film I, I don't understand how you've adapted this to a Broadway play where Brett Midler is the star, but uh, I mean, that's probably the absurdity 
is uh, very much in the comedy of, of all this. But uh, it just makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, and listen, Bette Midler, probably back then and certainly now, uh, has been raging about, uh, you know, young women and how, you know, ro- you know, Hollywood wants. Her latest tweet is, all the magazines want to terrorize us about our beach bodies. F them. They make us sound like corpses that just washed up on the sand. Yeah. Bette Midler is preaching the virtues of a beach's body. Yeah, she has the same husband for 32 years. No, nothing for Beach's body? I'm, I'm sorry. I was, that was a good joke, but I was reading the tweet, so I didn't hear it till like 10 seconds later. That was very good. You could, you could ding yourself again for that one. I'm sorry. No, no, the moment <laughs> is gone. Wait, hold on. Should we tweet that at her? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, say it. That was your Beach's body. <laughs> Let's see if anyone did it first, because I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you and me, bet. <laughs> but if someone with a million uh, tweets retweets me and like flames me, <laughs> yeah, get into a Twitter for what great publicity. Uh, OK, so what am I going to tweet? How dare they? You have a, you have a great beaches body. <laughs> yeah, they should be preaching the virtues of having a great beaches body. Everyone knows you <laughs> have a great. So if everyone could just retweet this, maybe she'll see it. You know, beaches body, beaches body. I, I'm very uh, hesitant to use exclamation points on Twitter. I, I'm really anti, not just from the Seinfeld thing. What are you, Jake Jarmel? No, I'm not Jake Jarmel. I just, I, I don't like exclamation points. I don't like think, you know, think people, I don't like people think I care too much about anything. <laughs> okay. Well, don't so worry. It doesn't really go with my MO. How dare they? Everyone knows you have a great beach body. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. All right. We're off to the races on that one. All right. So now we go back to Jerry's apartment. Now, this is really just the uh, slow news day does not even start to scratch the surface of the amount of reporting going on uh, with this. Now, again, I think that they're trying to uh, make some parallels to the Tanya Harding, uh, Nancy Kerrigan saga. The word galuli comes up at least once in the episode, and I think again in the deleted scene. But uh, so, I think it's just in the deleted scene, but I, maybe I'm mixing them up. Now. I think, I think, they, it's, just the I think it's said in the taxi uh, scene when we get to it. Oh, but, okay. Uh, so two weeks, uh, Bette Midler is going to be on the shelf from Rochelle Rochelle. Yeah, which is like a lifetime in the theater when show, you know, she's probably only signed up for a few months or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a big money because everyone's paying for, for the Midler, not for the Janice, <laughs> as you see. Um, I, yeah, I don't I, like they're very on the nose with the Harden Kerrigan thing, but. I, I, for people who don't know, like, do you want like how into that story were you in 1994? Um, I think that everybody was into it. Was it was it 94 or was it 92? I think it was 92. No, no, it was 94 uh, because they they were on a weird schedule. I happen to remember, and the Winter Olympics were in 92 and 94. They like switched the order. Yeah, but I feel like that it was in the 92 part because it wouldn't. No, it was definitely in- 94. It was it was because uh, it it was uh, Lilyhammer, not uh, Albertsville. Albertville. Okay. All right. Uh, because uh, I feel like that would have been eclipsed by the OJ stuff by 94. Uh, no, because the OJ stuff happens later. The OJ stuff happens in June. This is, this is, um, oh no, because this is 90. Yeah. So February 94 is the Kerrigan Harding thing, which, you know, started in, in uh, probably very late December, early January yeah, 94. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They, they were sort of like, they had a rivalry from 92. Yeah. So just to explain for somebody who doesn't know, just because we have a lot of millennials, millennials. we have a lot of millennials. You know, first of all, a lot of millennials aren't even listening because sometimes I, I have I, people have like messaged me like I loved you on Rob's podcast. I, I, you know, I wish I could listen to the Seinfeld podcast, but I've never seen Seinfeld. And it's always someone who's 23 saying that. 
It was yeah. like, you know, they were either too... All right, give us the 60-second version of Tanya Harding versus Nancy Kerrigan. Okay, so Nancy Kerrigan is like America's sweetheart figure skater. She won a bronze medal in 1992, and she's the gold medal favorite. She's the star of the whole Olympic Games. And, she, and she's like this princess. Everyone loves her. She gets all these endorsements. And then there's Tanya Harding, who's from, like, Detroit or something. And she's, like, very... Uh, she's not, Like, she's not... She's not as um, I'm trying to polished. say. She's, yeah, she's not as polished. She's not a fan favorite, and she's also not as good of a skater. She's a very good skater, and maybe like her absolute A plus game is better than Kerrigan's, but she's not as graceful, which was a big deal, you know, in terms of like scoring skating, especially back then. Mm-hmm. So she knew that you know now Christy Yamaguchi I think wins the gold medal. She retires now. Now it's like you know one of them is you know is has a good chance to win the gold medal and she realizes oh let me get um let me get kerrigan out of the way and i'll be the star american figure skater i'll get all the endorsements so she so her ex-husband jeff galuli who's mentioned in the episode and a guy named sean eckhart um at the trial at like the at the figure skating championships which i think is the trial uh you know for like who gets to go to the olympics in detroit they um they whack her in the knee and like badly injure her yeah, you know, uh, and so she has to go out of the championships and then and and Harding assumes that because she's not going to be suspected, she's going to get the spot instead of the great uh, Michelle Kwan. Mm-hmm. But but they didn't hit her hard enough. So Kerrigan recovers and Harding also makes the Olympics, though. So at the Olympics, just to like explain the end of the episode, Kerrigan is fully healed only seven weeks later and is great, and wins the silver. She doesn't get the gold medal. And Tanya Harding, who is a hot mess at this point, not only, not only like f- slips and falls, but she, uh, her, she goes out to skate, and her shoelace is untied. And like this has never happened in figure skating. Like 10 seconds in, she like starts hysterical crying, and she wants a do-over because like she can't skate oh, see, with that was tie. above me the uh the shoelace yeah, so joke that's, yeah so i'm trying to like i guess i know a lot of people won't get the ending even if they get like the, the basic thing so like and she is allowed to like they actually let her she comes in eighth which mm. is like pr- back then was disastrous for an american woman but um yeah it was like a, it, like just imagine like if if you know lebron james paid someone to injure steph curry tonight like just to give you an idea of how big um how big the the Harden Kerrigan thing was more people watched the uh, first skate, like the first night when they were both in it, the first, you know, cause it's two nights. They do like a free skate and a long skate, whatever it's called. The first night of the Olympics with, with Harden, with uh, Harding and Kerrigan, more people watched that than the Seinfeld finale. Yeah. No, it's huge. More I remember watching that. And I think every Super Bowl but one at the time. Yeah, I thought it was like a Friday night or something like that. Like uh... it may have been. It was it, like it's almost impossible to explain. Like the entire country watched that. <laughs> yeah, like it was percent huge. percentage wise, because there's more people in the country. Percentage wise, it beat I think just about every Super Bowl ever. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to uh, what's going on with the saga between uh, Bette Midler and Janice. And so uh, Janice uh, ends up coming up in the deleted scene. You see uh, Jerry and George like lock the doors a million times and, and then they delete that part. Uh, but then in the regular episode, you see Cra- like a like a close up of Kramer, like unlocking all of the locks. Yeah. Uh, but they let Janice uh, come up and she's so happy. Nobody's ever done this for her. But uh, then she quickly goes into crying again. Yeah, that was really funny where you think she's going to yell at them for a second. And she's like. You know, she's over the moon ecstatic because she's an awful person. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it is a really funny, like, sort of understated scene there. Yeah. All right. So then Kramer comes in and then he goes on into a whole rant about, oh, you thought you could get away with this. Uh, Broadway has no room for people like you, my dear. And uh, he basically says that, uh, you know, she's not going to make it in this town. Yeah. Who knew Kramer was so passionate about the theater? I mean, he will become a, become a Tony Award winning, uh, you know, person. But that's not he's not one yet. Not yet. All right. So we go back to the nail salon. Here comes Elaine. And she brings in Frank Costanza. And uh, he says that he wants a manicure. He's not going to take his shoes off for anyone. And then these women are especially mean about Frank Costanza. They say in Korean uh, that he doesn't look like he has a lot of money. uh, That uh, she thinks that she saw a moth uh, fly out of uh, the pocket. Maybe these are the clothes that George ended up selling to uh, the guy who bought the raincoats. Uh, who had the problem with the moths, right? Like, uh, I mean, isn't that weird that they talk about this? Like, Frank's clothes literally did have moths from the attic. Yeah, I thought the moth thing was a good callback. <laughs> did you think it was a callback or you think it was a coincidence? No, definitely a callback. Okay. Th- uh, this whole season's been, like, very subtle callbacks. I really like that about it. Okay. All right. And so Frank Sanza flips out and uh, he starts uh, calling them out. Oh, where's my tail? I heard every word you said. You've got some nerve. Yeah. He first of all, it's much like if you're a spy who knows a language that other people don't know, it's way more interesting to just never tell them or at least, you know, give it a few more minutes. Right. Then rather than blow your cover. But, right. you know, Frank Costanza's got a short temper. We right. know that. Uh, I mean, and this is a thing that we've seen in a million different uh, TV shows and movies. This person who understands the language. But Frank Costanza gives it up the quickest. It's not even like uh, Daenerys in uh, Game of Thrones when uh, they, she doesn't tip them off that she speaks high right. Valerian. Uh, he just like blows up right away. And so meanwhile, in the back area of the nail salon, there's a woman. Her name is Kim. She says that this voice sounds familiar. It reminds me of when I was a young girl in Korea and I met an American businessman. He was unusual. He had a strange halting way of speaking, uh, but he wouldn't take his shoes off for my father. Uh, and then they tell her that this man wouldn't take his shoes off either. And so... Uh, she is going to uh, come out in a moment. Now, this is very unusual, Keeve. Elaine is kicked out of the nail salon for bringing in a spy. Okay? Yes. Frank Costanza is not kicked out of the nail salon. Like, Elaine is, like, pushed out. But Frank Costanza is left just standing there with nothing to do in the nail salon. Almost as if the women in the nail salon knew he needs to stay here to meet the other woman who was his former fling from the 50s. I, I almost think, it's a good point, I almost think that it's like, if you speak like a, a language that's not spoken by a lot of people near you, it's almost like, oh, you know, he speaks Korean, like, I like him, you know, I sort of respect him. <laughs> Whereas, like, Elaine is just a traitor who tried to trick them. Frank is like, oh, he's one of us, he speaks Korean. Yeah, but it's not like, all right, Frank, come on, let's go. It's like, you know, you get out of here. It's like, she came there with Frank, she's going to leave him there, and then she just, like, walks away. Like he's like, okay, Frank, you figure it out. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah, it was slow to develop, and they do make him wait there. But uh, they hate Elaine. I'm not sure, like, if they have any opinion on Frank, other than that his shirt has moths in it. You would think that Elaine would want to, like, sort of post game with Frank. Like, oh my god, like you idiot! I can't believe you blew it. My cover. All you had to do was tell me. Like, you, she just like leaves him there. Does Frank? Does Elaine really owe them an apology? Don't they owe her a big apology too? 
You would think so. Maybe she's just so incensed with this uh, idiot Frank Costanza who blew the whole thing. He was just supposed to. But I, what, what was Elaine going to do? I mean, was she going to confront them in a subtle way? Yeah, I guess that? they don't care. Like, she's just one customer. It doesn't really matter if they lose her business. It's pretty Yelp, so she's not going to ruin their reputation. Yeah. Whereas Elaine can't go back here unless she makes, you know, makes them good. So here comes Kim. She comes out and says, Frank, Kim. And then uh, that's the last we see of them uh, here in the nail salon. We'll see them in the car later on. All right, so Kramer is in the hospital room with Bette Midler working on her lunch order. She wants a turkey sandwich and a side of slaw white meat for Bette Midler. I, turkey comes in white meat and dark meat? I don't even know this stuff. Yeah. Why, are you, is, is turkey not on the list? No, I can eat turkey. I just, I, 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 I never order it. So it's like, you know, they give me, they, you know, on Thanksgiving, someone hands me a turkey and I eat it. I don't really pay attention if it's white or dark. Okay. Uh, Bette Midler wants one of those black and white cookies. Is this a callback? Yeah, this is a callback too. It feels like a weird callback because there is no further mention of the black and white cookie that she doesn't uh, talk anything Listen, about. Listen, not everything has to pay off. We got, okay. you know, we got 23 minutes of comedy here. All right. All right. So Kramer says that he's going to go get her one from somewhere. Again, no mention of the bakery or anything like that. Uh, and she says if she doesn't get a black and white cookie, she's not going to be very pleasant to be around. And Kramer says that's impossible. So really, he's winning over Bette Midler. Really charming. Yeah. And that that may be like uh, the writers sort of throwing it, throwing her under the bus. Like they may have thrown that whole thing in there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we have Elaine. It's raining. She's sobbing, uh, really taking the whole being banned from the nail salon very hard. Elaine. Yeah. I'm not sure why she's so upset. I think just it's like crying is a running theme in the episode. Okay. So she is uh, very upset because it was such a good nail salon. She ends up running into Jay Peterman. First appearance of Peterman. Keith, let's just talk big picture. Are you a Peterman fan? Sure. I, I mean, obviously, I like him better than Pitt, who I didn't really like this season. Uh, and I like him better than Littman, who will come back on like Pitt. Um, well, Pitt comes back, I think, but just in the finale. Um, uh, yeah, I like Peterman. We're really almost done with meeting new major players. The only two really relevant people we haven't met yet in terms of guest stars are Jackie Childs and uh, Sue Ellen Mischke. I think mm-hmm. just about everybody else we've, you know, we've, we've met at least once. I'm not a huge Peterman guy. I feel like he's pretty one note. Even like the first time through Seinfeld, I never felt like, oh my God, Jay Peterman is so funny. I also remember during the first season of Dancing with the Stars, I think that he went down to the finals. I'm not sure if he was the winner or if he was the runner-up for the first season of Dancing with the Stars. But I think at that point in time, had it been any other Seinfeld regular, I'm pretty sure I would have watched Dancing with the Stars, but I could not bring myself uh, to watch uh, John O'Hurley on that. That's his name, right? I don't know if I would, to be fair, like, I, I, I get your point, and I don't like him personally. Like, I'm not interested in what he's doing outside the show. Uh, and I, we'll make our, you know, we'll sort of, uh, you know, make our own opinions watching him the next three seasons. But I would, like, if my kids were on Dancing with the Stars, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> Don't you have to go to your kids' dance recitals all the time? Sometimes, if they let me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So he wants to know, have you been crying? You have a nice jacket. You know, I just never laugh at these, uh, like, where he's like, oh, very soft, huge button flaps, cargo pockets, drawstring waist. I feel like that he has, like, these long lines of dialogue uh, almost all the time whenever he's on the screen. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, he's definitely not funny in this scene. Um, well, you know, let's, let's, let's give Peterman a pass for we'll now give him and, a chance. Okay. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll rank the bosses, uh, in a couple seasons. So we have this scene where Jerry, Janice and George are all in the taxi and they're talking about this backlash from all of Manhattan against them for the whole Bette Midler incident. Uh, Janice was told that she could go straight to hell. 
Uh, somebody dropped an egg on George's head. Uh, Jerry says, I'm being heckled on stage. People are yelling out Galuli. Oh, you're right. There was a Galuli joke yeah. uh, other than the deleted scene. Um, yeah, it's like what the equivalent now would be if someone like played basketball with Lin-Manuel Miranda and like dunked on his face and like gave him a black eye and he couldn't be in the show for a week. I don't know <laughs> yeah, if all like of Manhattan would really unite against the dunker. I don't know. It's possible. But here, the, uh, you know, uh, social justice is striking down hard on the people that injured Bette Midler, the beloved Bette I will Bette say Midler. Twitter would have been very rough on Jerry that week. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, then we end up with uh, the cab driver is uh, even, like, turning on them. Uh, because uh, they're talking about this, like, oh, you guys knocked Bette Midler out of Rochelle Rochelle the musical. Get out of my cab. Yeah, big uh, Broadway fan, the cab driver. Yeah. All right, uh, so we go back to Elaine with Peterman, and he's talking about how uh, that he is uh, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, this, I uh, agree. This scene does do nothing for me. I, I totally agree. It's not funny at all. Okay. It's just setting up the character that he likes to talk about clothing. Right. And again, in some ways, uh, similar to stuff that went on in last season's finale where we set up George's job working for the Yankees uh, in the previous season finale, in the opposite. Yes, it is an interesting decision by them. And, you know, we saw last episode, they're getting him engaged. I do think that the ball is really, uh, like, it's really on their mind, like, what are we doing next season in these last couple episodes? Because, yeah. like, it is interesting to introduce the boss in the finale for next season. Okay, so now we see Frank driving in the car, and she's saying, to Kim is saying to him, like, oh, if you only took your shoes off, and he said, I had a potential foot problem, uh, and then he said he wiped them on the mat. Uh, why did the father have to make a big job? And then all of a sudden she says, uh, look, that's in the past. We have our whole future ahead of us. And uh, then he ends up stopping the brakes and stopping short. Clearly intentional. It's blatant. <sighs> but uh, uh, he's looking around. It's not, it, you know, it actually when Kramer does it and obviously when Kramer does it, it's a mistake. When Kramer does it to Estelle, it looks like a mistake. Here, it's like he's lunging. He, he just doesn't even go for the one like next to him. He goes for like the other one. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe something is lost in the translation from the script to the performance here. That's very possible. Uh, it almost makes no sense. If he's running off with her, why does he need to stop the car short with her right now? It's a good question, right? <laughs> I, think, I think he's got a maid in the shade. Like, he doesn't need... He doesn't need to pull a move here. Yeah. Like, I understand, like, okay, like uh, teenagers, whatever, you know, the young Estelle uh, is uh, potentially some sort of, you know, a uh, very uh, proper and he's got to stop short. But it seems like that, he's, you know, you know, this is all going in a very good direction. Yeah. And it's also, you know what this is like? It's like doing a flea flicker on the one yard line. <laughs> Don't get fancy. Just punch it in. You know, yeah. give it to your fullback three times. You're going to score a touchdown. <laughs> All right. Uh, so she says, what? You stop short with me. We don't do that in Korea. Take me home. I never want to see you again. She knows all about the stopping short, though. This is not the first time someone has stopped short on her. Okay. All right. So now Kramer is back with Bette Midler. He's made her the macaroni Midler. Uh, is Bette Midler impressed with this or turned off? It's hard to tell. She's really playing it 50-50. It's hard to really. Another 50-50 like, She starts off like you're a loser, and then she's like, oh, that's kind of charming. Yeah. All right. And so she sings the reprise to Rochelle Rochelle, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, and Kramer's like, you're so freaking talented. Uh, then there's a knock at the door. 
and it's Jerry. They want to apologize about the whole thing. It's an accident. Uh, Kramer says, no, you cannot see Bette Midler. You would think the security, like even, they, you know, in a deleted scene, mm-hmm. they ask the nurse where Bette Midler's room is. It's like if Bette Midler's in the hospital and you tell someone where her room is, you're getting fired on the spot. Right. Right. They're like, uh, hey, could you tell us where Bette Midler's room is? It's like, oh, it's right down the hall. Like, wait a minute. You're those guys that are tried to hurt her. They're like, well, now you can't go see Bette Midler. If you were some I, random stranger who didn't already try to hurt her, sure, fine. That's understandable. You're, you'll hear stories about, you know, like Jay-Z and Beyonce, like renting out like a whole floor. You know, celebrities don't want to be bothered in the hospital. I mean, your wife's a nurse. I don't know if she could talk about it, but mm-hmm. like. There, you know, there's she probably, you know, in LA, I'm sure she's got stories about like celebrities and like trying to keep their privacy, probably checking in under fake names and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that if you look up a celebrity's chart, like in the hospital, and you're not working on that case, you're just fired on the spot. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like if you're just like, hey, I wonder what uh, Mr. Cruz is in here for. Yeah. yeah. If they could see that, which now nowadays I'm sure they can, that's it. You're done. You're done. You're done. But here, uh, sure. You want to go see Bette Midler? She's right in there. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Unless There's you no try private to room, her. at least. There's no roommate for Midler. Right. No roommate. Okay. All right. So uh, then uh, we end up with uh, seeing a scene which is taking place outside the Broadway theater of Rochelle Rochelle. Uh, the women from the nail salon are all here. They're all excited. Elaine had to make good. She got them tickets for Rochelle Rochelle. Probably expensive. Like the show seems like it just started, right? Well, maybe the tickets are like dirt cheap now that uh, it's no Bette Midler. But how do like the nail salon ladies, like they know enough about Bette Midler to be huge fans that they want to see her, but they, and like they care enough about her that they're going to leave the second it's announced that she's not there. It's a great question. And, and they don't know, but they don't know about the whole scenario. Great question. Uh, perhaps um, they are all big Bette Midler fans um, and they don't speak a ton of English. So, so they're probably not reading New York Post. The Korean media perhaps is sure. not talking about this at great length. And the chatter in the street is about this, but nobody's talking in Korean about this. Do you think they're big genius fans? Probably. Huge genius fans. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, Elaine is now going to write for the J. Peterman uh, catalog as well. Yeah, and I give it to you here. There's really nothing in the scenes between Elaine and Peterman worth talking about. And again, even then when Elaine is talking about like, well, he wore a classic Cortman duster beige corduroy collar. It's like, you know, it's the same joke all the time with us. Yes, agreed. It's not even a joke. It's like uh, just nothing. (laughs) Long descriptions of clothing um, in a certain voice. That's what we constantly do with this. All right. All right. So backstage, we end up seeing Jerry and Janice. Uh, he tells her to break a leg tonight, and she's very nervous. Uh, she gets a telegram. Uh, is this an actual thing that happens? I, it, it, I, I, I almost like had to pause for 10 minutes when I saw this. I needed to like, take a walk. Yeah. Uh, the telegram. In, this, is only, this is only, you know, 18 years before Donovan. This is 1995, mm-hmm. and we're getting telegrams still? Like, yeah. I, she couldn't have gotten a call backstage. Someone gave her a note. A telegram. Mm-hmm. I don't like I, I, I maybe a singing telegram, but I don't think your grandma died would be like a really good singing telegram. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like I don't know anything about telegrams, but I have to imagine they were done by 1995. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, uh, she finds out uh, her grandmother died, but she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of like a good bit that she's, you know, hysterical about the about the hot dog and mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the beaches. But the grandmother, OK, and it's not even like I wasn't close with her because that explained it away. It's but- just like she doesn't care. I could say the same thing about my wife where I, I say this about her all the time where it's like my wife will freak out about the dumbest things, but like the big things, she 
doesn't have a problem with where it's like, oh, I, I left crumbs on the table. That's like a freak out. Uh, but, you know, honey, I lost my job. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do for money. It's like, all right, we'll figure it out. You know, <laughs> she, she really, uh, is, uh, for whatever reason, she handles the big stuff amazingly well and the minute things terribly. I'd say I'm like that. Like the, the when my grandmother passed away like 10 years ago and it, it was out of the blue and my wife got super mad that I like wasn't like crying at all. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, just like I was, you know, it was, I guess I was probably shocked because like it, it, she wasn't sick, but then she'll still bring it up now, like to show that I have no feelings about anything. Like, oh, you didn't cry when your grandma died. So, you know, it was almost like, you know, uh, it really backfired on me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, she just feels like, well, what's going to happen if I'm not around? You're going to be upset if I'm not around? Yeah, I think it's part of it. And it's also just like a good, good callback to like, oh, you have no feelings. You don't, you know, your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. And then uh, we get that last uh, part where we have the uh, performance from Janice and uh, she comes out and the women are mad. What happened to Bette Midler? Oh, she got hurt. And then they all leave because uh, how could you give us tickets for Rochelle Rochelle with no Bette Midler? Uh, and then we end up with Janice on the stage and she's crying about the shoelace. Uh, she wants to start over again. Yeah. I mean, this is a blatant, you know, this isn't just like a light parody. This is obviously a blatant ripoff of the no, it makes climactic Harding moment, yeah. uh, which a lot of people don't remember. Like, there's just so many insane things in the Harding Kerrigan story that like the fact that, you know, she tanks at the Olympics and literally gets a do over when she's crying. You know, check, I, I'm sure it's on YouTube if someone wants to check it out. It's uh it was, you know, one of the crazier things that happened in that whole uh, incident. Yeah. And then we have sort of an epilogue where Jerry ends up coming home and uh, Kramer has to move Bette Midler to his apartment uh, because it's the only place that's safe. And we end up hearing them singing uh, the uh, theme song to Rochelle Rochelle. Yeah, I think um, it's funny. Like, first of all, is is Bette Midler like in that room? Did she just like phone in this lyrics? So like, <laughs> she's not really in that many scenes. <laughs> that's a good point. That's it. a good point. Uh, I also felt like that where Kramer sings "The Wind Beneath My Wings." I feels like that that's sort of like ADR in there. It seems like uh, like I don't know if he did it and it didn't come out great on location. It seems like that the audio kind of changes when Kramer starts singing "Wind Beneath My Wings" on the baseball field. Um, yeah, I don't know. Kramer's not a bad singer. I'm not. I'm not anti-Kramer singing. <laughs> yeah. There's also a very funny moment that uh, I ended up skipping when we were talking about Kramer and Bette Midler in the hospital room where uh, Kramer is working on the manicure of Bette Midler. And then it goes longer in the deleted scene where he's like, and what is the deal with that Bob Barker? Does he really care about the prices of all those stuff? Yeah, what, that's really a very <laughs> awkward line. Like, why is, she asking, why is he asking about Bob Barker? <laughs> and then in the deleted scene, it goes on for a while longer. Yeah, yeah, that bit was gold. I can't believe they deleted it. Yeah, and then he's like, "And what?" <laughs> She's like, "Oh, she doesn't like the prices, right? Because if you just bid one dollar more than the other person." No, I, I agree. That's a flaw in the game. You should have to bid at least a hundred dollars over the other person. And then uh, Kramer's like, "Well, that's the strategy." He's like, of course, I know that's the strategy. I just don't think you should get all those other prices. Uh, just yeah, no, you it's bid insane. One dollar more. It, it, the game is literally broken. Okay. So you and Bette Midler are on the same page with that. Oh, yeah. Everyone's on the same page. Price is Right is a horrible... There has to be... I mean, that rule should have been made 40 years ago. It's totally insane. Okay. All right. Well, uh, really, I didn't know we were entering the hot take portion of the podcast. Unless, the, the, way, the only way you get rid of that rule is if bidding under doesn't lose. 
Mm. Like that's the other way to change that rule. Like it's fine to bid one dollar over. You have to excise the bidding under. You automatically lose rule. Okay. All right. We'll save that for the prices right think tank coming later this summer. Okay. I'm sure you're gonna have that. <laughs> you already did three prices right podcasts. I feel like yeah. uh, I stopped there. All right. So. Keeve, then any other thoughts about the episode proper of The Understudy? No, it's really all over the place. It's, it's one of the hardest episodes of the age. Like, there's funny parts. It's kind of a mess in places. Uh, there's a lot going on. Like, everyone, like, Elaine has two, two subplots in this, right? She's got the, mm-hmm. the Korean thing, and then she gets a job in the second half of it. Like, a lot going on. As far as season finales go, I, I feel like there's so many good ones. Like, we're talking about The Summer of George and the opposite. It doesn't live up to that bar, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a worthy episode. It's, it, there's definitely a lot to talk about. I feel like it's memorable, but I feel like that the overall product is not something that it is uh, one. It shouldn't be in the pantheon. No, definitely not. I agree. It's, it's not boring, but it, it's not especially funny or good. Yeah, it's, probably, it's more memorable, I think, than it is funny. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Concur. All right, so then uh, let's uh, rate it out, okay? Uh, let's talk about Jerry dating the understudy. Uh, it's a B. There's B. nothing bad in it. I like the understudy. One of the more interesting girlfriends that, uh, that, that he has, but okay. you know, there's no great lines. All right. Uh, what about George? Does he have his own story here, or is he just sort of wrapped up in that he knocked out Bette Midler? You know, I'm, I'm going to knock Jerry down to a C. I'm going to give George a C just because... Them getting chased is so <laughs> Looney Tunes. Like, literally, yeah. it's like something that happens in Looney Tunes. Yeah. That we can't really respect this episode anymore. Yeah. George, to me, gets an N.A. Uh, he does not even have a story. Yeah, I agree. I, Just an accessory ver- in Jerry's story. George, I believe, is never seen without Jerry in this episode. Like, yeah. he's never not just Jerry's psychic. Like, l- the only thing he does is, like, trash talk that Midler a little bit, which is funny. Yeah. Much like the urban sombrero, he's just a flashy accessory here in this story. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Tie it into the J. Peterman catalog. Uh, Kramer has a lot to do with being Bette Midler's lackey. Yeah, Italian Ices is fine. Uh, the Bette Midler stuff is fine. The ending is not a, not a bad ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give Kramer a B, but not a ton of laughs. Okay. And then what about Elaine, that she goes to the Korean uh, nail salon, then she gets to work with the Jay Peterman? I think this whole episode was was funny when they wrote the script. And for whatever reason, and, you know, I can't say this about a lot of episodes, for whatever reason, doesn't totally translate. Like, if we just read the script, I think we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a really good episode. We need and Frank Costanza reason, to come in. Yeah, I, I, I just think it doesn't totally translate uh, on the screen for some reason. Yeah. I'll say I'll give her an A for the first part with Frank Costanza and a D for Jay Peterman. Where yeah, there is Peterman, I agree, is D. The humorless Jay Peterman stuff. I, I think if you're, what you're saying is correct, that this is like a pre-trope, like, oh, people can't understand what you're saying, and it, this is an original subplot, then it's, it's worthy. So I'll give yeah. it, uh, yeah, I agree, A and D. And it wasn't an inspired idea to have Frank Costanza have met a woman in Korea in the 50s and then to have that pay off and to bring in stopping short. So you have to give credit to the Elaine storyline for that. But then you get Elaine out of there and you get to the Jay Peterman stuff. Uh, not a lot of fun to be had there. Okay. Sure. Um, not to say that there won't be some fun moments that come out of Jay Peterman, uh, like uh, ATM pin codes and things like that. No, Peterman like, will definitely have moments. He's not, he's not Mr. Pitt. That him talking like very, about clothes, I find to be very boring. Yeah, but there's not that much of that coming up. Okay. All right. Then finally with this, Akiva, what is the overall ranking? Yeah, I just, I, I had it, you know, in my mind, I thought like this could be a top 100 episode, but I just hate the scene where Jerry and George are being chased so much. And it's a little chopped up. Like, it's not the best edited episode either. 
Uh, so I have it at 105. 105. Okay, before we get to the emails, uh, a couple things uh, real quick. Did uh, Bette Midler write back yet? Uh, not yet, but I'm sure I'm sure her team is. I feel like she's not. She's got an assistant tweeting, right? It's not her. Right. I feel like the best chance of her team responding to us is before they listen to this podcast and hear us call them incompetent for letting Bette Midler play in the softball game. That's true. Although, the, the, you know, that's the fake team, but I, I agree. <laughs> that's our best chance. That is the best chance. Also, uh, Post Show Recaps is nominated for a podcast award. And if you're listening to this soon enough, uh, you could get in still, maybe for a couple more hours, to vote for the podcast awards through June 12th uh, before the voting is closed. So hopefully uh, you're listening to this far in the future and we have, would have won podcast awards for Post Show Recaps in TV and film and the People's Choice Podcast of the Year. Do you want to take it again in case we lose? No, I think we're good. We'll go with that. We'll go with that for posterity. Okay. All right, Keith. Uh, Let's dive into the email inbox. Of course, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps. I know we were also trying to find out from people, what should we do next week? Yeah, um, a couple people wrote in here. People did like my idea. A couple people did like my idea of, um, of going back and listening to the first episode. I'm always on board with just keep plugging along um because you know we're going we're at this point we're heading towards september 2017 and you know every week is precious every week is precious okay uh unless we have people just demanding that we go back and revisit the first episode because we, we will... could also do that another time if if it's an idea that you know people like okay. in the future so we will continue onward into season seven unless yeah, send in your questions for the engagement worst comes to worst it's a week early yeah unless you guys just go completely uh get a uproar as if bet midler had been knocked out of your favorite play if you get hit with eggs this week i feel like you know what we have to do all right let's get into it johnny de silvera writes in and says how is george able to play with the improv baseball team he doesn't play a comedian on the show he works for the yankees is he a ringer technically yeah he's a ringer i don't know why george would be a ringer he's a catcher he's a light hitting catcher but uh, yeah, I feel like how many comedians, like there aren't a lot of employees at a comedy club. So George is a ringer. Yeah, he's the Kevin Ploiecki of the beer league softball. He's the uh, Rene Rivera. <laughs> no, well, then he, is he really good behind the plate? Yeah, he's, he's he defensively. He's great. Uh, in, at, at bat, he's not great. OK. All right. Dan, the benefactor writes in and says, great season, guys. My attorney tells me continuing the charitable donations after I'm dead would be tricky. I guess, did we discuss Dan dying? <laughs> I hope not. Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like we say terrible Sounds things. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. But we did create a, a trust to ensure all of the toasties at the Melbourne live finale will be paid for. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Dan might fake his own death to get out of this agreement he made. That, that's not bad. No, we're in his... <laughs> no, we're, we got in his will. Okay. Didn't we ask... The, we asked people to put us in their will. Nobody's really confirmed yet. Although, you know... We did get invited to a wedding this week. I don't know yes, if you saw that. That's true. Where, where was the wedding? Uh, I don't know. I think it's. I think her name is Melissa. So Melissa, if you write in next week, let us know where. I think she said we could MC. I don't know if she meant you, me, both of us together. Yes, I mean, have you ever been booed at a wedding before? Not yet. Uh, Keith, what would that uh, look like uh, in terms of us MCing the wedding? It's like uh, we're like Melissa's uh, favorite podcast. Like we get a note, like eighth favorite podcast, like uh, hosts. And, uh, you know, we just like to tell you guys that, uh, I don't know, I don't know, what, are we doing bits? Yeah, I feel like that we like need... Like a live podcast at the wedding? Let's see, I feel like that we were like, uh... All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Are you ready for the wedding? Is it like that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, I think we're, we're like, are we the hype men? Yes, yes. Oh, sweet. And now... 
for the first time at never underscore Missy and her husband. I'm assuming his name is Travis. <laughs> or, or can we do the college thing from Harvard? <laughs> a Baltimore Orioles fan. Or are it's a two-hour, 47-minute marathon. That's pretty good. Or do we need to be more like uh, how we are on the podcast? Like very li- – how are we on the podcast? Are we talking about like things like, uh, okay, so uh, we have a, a lot of food. Akiva, what are you going to order for uh, the entree? Wait, what is it? What choice is meat, chicken, and fish? Yeah. Now, what can you eat out of this? Oh, I like, listen, if I'm coming in, I don't know where, I know she's an Orioles fan. I don't know if she lives in like, uh, I don't know, I don't know where, where she, we, uh, you know, she's located. Oh, she says DC Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know. Listen, if she's, if she's bringing us tickets and I assume MCs get paid a lot of money, like, well, I'm willing to go in this summer. <laughs> what can I eat? She's going to have to get me kosher food. <laughs> Wow! I get to bring. I know. Listen, I'll do food. it. I'll I'll eat beforehand. I don't mind. I'll you know I could drink something there. It's fine. Okay. All right. We need to get some more information on this. Yes. I mean, if you write in, Missy, we we are considering it. But I feel like uh, you know the Orioles fan. I, that is like I don't know. That's like Elaine is an Orioles fan. That's mm-hmm. a, there's some Seinfeld connection there. Okay. We do a live podcast from the like the after party of the wedding. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Maybe we'll do the finale from there. Well, I don't know when she's getting married. Yeah, say we need to save the date. We need to save the date. All right. Uh, she says it's it's September tenth, twenty sixteen, which oh. is almost the exact date we're going to be finishing in twenty seventeen. My wife's birthday. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does she want to go to a wedding in D.C. for a birthday? Let me say. I'll ask her. We'll get like. Oh, here's the. Okay, I got the idea. Okay. Yes. You take the family to D.C. Yes. and I'm not sure why it's it. Like someone said, she said, "Can you come to my wedding? It's on September tenth, twenty sixteen." And then someone else said, "If you come." Can we have a DC Baltimore RHAP meetup? Yeah, <laughs> and and so maybe it's like her husband or a guy who knows. Oh, was her, this maybe in the comments and not? Uh, I'm looking for the email of this. No, this is all in on Twitter. Oh, it was on Twitter. Okay, I was looking for it in my email and I couldn't find it. Yeah. So and so here's the plan. Okay, we'll go to MC the wedding. Your, mm-hmm. It's your wife's birthday, so you can't leave her alone. You'll never hear the end of that. Mm-hmm. She comes to the wedding. She likes weddings, right? Um, not really. Free booze. She really doesn't okay. like anything. And then we'll get like uh, we'll get like uh, Ariel uh, Glassman mm-hmm. to babysit your kids. I she'll be up for it. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. She listens to podcasts. She lives in DC. <laughs> I feel like she's you know on her babysitting scale, she's up there. No, I feel like you trust her as a babysitter for okay. sure. Let me follow uh, Never underscore Missy on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, you could DM us if you don't want any, you know, you don't want like all this uh, out there. But okay. I do think, uh, yeah, we're, we're considering it, Missy. All right. <laughs> this is good. And Sean Falconer, who never responded, but he might be mad because I also, you know, we also said that, uh, you know, we, we, we were pressuring him to propose to his girlfriend. <laughs> and it's a very hard time for his girlfriend right now being, you know, a zookeeper in Cincinnati. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to Dan, the benefactor. OK, so he says uh, we're in both invited to his funeral. Uh, he's got some analytics for for the podcast. Yes. No specific questions. He says in season six, we smashed all records for longest episodes in a season, averaging over 95 minutes per episode. Based on the current trend line, by season nine, the average episode will be just over two hours. Wow. I was thinking at a certain point, we're going to have to like either cut the episodes or like record like half one week and half the next week. Part one and part two. Yeah. And th- th- at that point, we'll have zero listeners. <laughs> Just, I feel people will get very mad if we, if we break that format. But yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very hard for us to cut it to cut down. Like, I can't even imagine the, what the 40 minute, po- 40 minute podcast in season one sound like. Uh, he also says thus far for season six, we've accumulated $550 for charity, which can go to baby buggy 
or any charity. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go to Baby Bug, although I think she switched the name this year. But it's, uh, we can put it to Jessica Seinfeld's sure. uh, charity. Sure. He says uh, his vote for next week is a random episode in between the seasons. But I don't have any good suggestions for you. I have no idea what you're talking about, Dan. For a bad suggestion. No, the first one was a bad suggestion. Maybe you could rank the top five episodes for each character now that you grade the storylines individually. Uh, we, we're not keeping the records on that. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Dan, if you, if, if you were Falcon to do the work, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Even worse suggestion, rank our questions for Jerry and Larry, including copious use of the dial tone sound effect. <laughs> oh, I kind of did that this week. I sort of really, in my mind now, if we ever get like on the fly a Jerry or Larry interview, I really have like our top 10 or 12 questions ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So there's some good ideas, but I feel like if someone wrote, I think, in, in an iTunes comment, maybe I'll read it. To you. I'm not sure if it's in the ones I pulled, but like that they love the podcast. But we always we spend like five episodes at the end of every season. Like, hey, what should we do in between seasons? And only once have we ever actually done anything. Oh, come on. We're waiting to be inspired. We're not going to do true. something. Nobody, it's not like we're, we're, we're you know, if, and at the end of the day. I want to finish in September of 2017, not December of 2017. Yeah, and there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. Who can guarantee we're both going to be here in September 2017? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's take another email. Uh, This is from Craig from Vancouver. Since this podcast is about an understudy, I was wondering who would be your Seinfeld podcast understudies. For Rob, I think his understudy would be Mike Bloom. I still would like to see a Seinfeld-related podcast with him. And for Akiva, it would probably be Chester. If you two have any better choice, I would be interested in knowing uh, Keith, would you be interested in listening to the understudy Seinfeld podcast of Mike Bloom talking to Chester? Sure. I think that would be, that's a good combo, Mike Bloom and Chester. <laughs> I do think we will to answer his, I do think Mike Bloom had never seen Seinfeld before. He's watching now. I do think at some point it would be worthwhile to uh, check in and see like what he thinks. You know, we sh- I, sometimes I like, I'm going to say something like, you know, Susan dies and I feel bad spoiling episodes because mm-hmm. he probably doesn't know anything. Um, but so that's sort of interesting. Someone watching it for the first time. Would I don't know. Would people be interested? Chester came on once and got a lot of hate mail. I feel <laughs> like he's turning the corner. Like we started our own podcast since then, and maybe he's a little better. Maybe now. Maybe um, I don't know. Would people be interested in a in like a like? Is that like the reality TV wrap ups of the Seinfeld show? I don't know. Like, does that get on the main feed? The post show recap. That's feed? the NXT of Seinfeld podcast. Oh my gosh, Rob! This is a crazy drop. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna. Rob is being turned into like a. Uh, do you watch Monday Night Raw every week and, and like, just don't mention it? No, I, I don't, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like I would probably do that before a lot of other things people try to get me. I think we're inching you towards uh, towards like being a wrestling fan again. Yeah, I feel like I always like to know what is going on in the world of wrestling. I just don't want to put the time into it. Sure. I also like you also like think that it's like, oh, you know, it's not really my thing. But now it's like people like me and Antonio mm-hmm. and Alex Kidwell are into it. And you're like, okay, it can't be like completely ridiculous yeah. if like people I you know, tolerate, like it. Yeah. No, I do. I'm not above it or anything like that. I just feel like ah, I have to go through all the time. got to watch it and Monday nights. It, it, it is a full-time job to like right. actually know your stuff. If there was like a 10-minute like uh, YouTube video I could watch every week of here's what you need to know for this week, I would watch What that. if? What if like, I wonder, I don't know if it would work. What if people like only watch the pay-per-views? I feel like some people do that. Mm. Yeah, that's fine. Be into it. Uh, all right. Jeff P. writes in. He says uh, he likes uh, Bette Midler's appearance. It's his favorite all-time guest star. He ranked his top 10. I'll give it quickly. Bette Midler is number one. He just loves when she sings Rochelle Rochelle. It is interesting. Like, they did get her to sing. I wonder if they'd, like, pull her arm. Uh, you know, they pay her extra to get, get Probably Bette Probably not. To sing. He's got Keith Hernandez, too. I think that would be my number one. Marissa Tomei. 
John Voight, we've seen. He just bites, right? He doesn't speak. Ra- Raquel Welch, we haven't seen her yet. Fred Savage, George Wenton, Corbin Burnson from The Trip, right? That's all uh, Jay Leno stuff. Yeah. Uh, Ru- Rudy Giuliani, eh, the, you know, he's, he wasn't even on. Like, he filmed his cameo. And then Jim Fowler from The Merv Griffin Show, which we're not going to see for a while. Uh, Plus, no love for Fowler. Danny Tartable or Derek Jeter? Yeah, well, I, know, I have no love for Tartable or Jeter. <laughs> I mean, Steinbrenner, I feel like. But is it really Steinbrenner? Not really. No, not really. The fictional account is George Steinbrenner. Okay, uh, then uh, let's check in with uh, the previously aforementioned uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick, our new Broadway correspondent. He says, as a reminder, this is a completely fictional film and musical created for Seinfeld, but it's still amazing they were able to get the famed star of both screen and stage, Bette Midler, to play herself in the episode. Rochelle, Rochelle, the film was in the season four episode. Uh, the movie, uh, when they're trying to see Checkmate and end up at Rochelle, Rochelle. Yes, uh, this we know. Uh, she left Broadway behind in the early 70s and transitioned to her successful comedy, music, and film careers. She didn't return to traditional theater or musicals until 2011 when she was a producer of the stage version of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The production lasted for 526 performances and closed on June 24th, 2012. The question, really doing his research. Yeah, the question I have for Brendan is, did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, have a softball team and if so, did Bette Midler play? Yeah, I'm going to be Googling like Broadway softball league after this. I'm sure it exists. Um, yeah, but so she wasn't even, you know, they're getting her for the show, but she isn't even on Broadway and hasn't been for 25 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just comes. That's interesting. I guess I guess she was like so good that she sort of like, I guess she, yeah, she wanted to, you know, become a, a movie star. It sounds like, like and the rock coming back to WWE. Right. He could come back once, but it's, he's got nothing to prove. He's not. He's not like wrestling on Monday Night Raw anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't even wrestle at WrestleMania anymore because the insurance companies, you know, he's in. He does like eight movies a year. I don't know exactly how he. I mean, I guess the I guess the answer is they're not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he does like he literally is in like eight big movies every year, and so you know the insurance companies won't let him wrestle because if he gets hurt, that's like you know hundred million dollar movie has to get shut down for a few months. Okay, what about Lindsay? Lindsay, a real new star of the podcast. Lindsay. She says, do we have anybody in our lives who cries a lot apart from our kids? She doesn't, and she, gets, she doesn't cry, and she gets super uncomfortable around people who cry a lot. This may make me seem really insensitive. I have no idea how to behave around them. No, I hear you. I don't know how to behave around people who are crying. No, and, and I've definitely gotten in trouble from my wife before about not consoling her about different things that she's been upset about. Yeah. We're in that. We're in the same boat. A sting Frank in the translate Korean. Lindsay says it's very similar to the lip reader incident from several yes. seasons ago. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, does she wants to know, do we think the Tanya Harding references hold up? It's dated, but it's reasonably recognizable. I do think when they did it, they probably assumed this was be, this would be like a tr- like a real legendary thing that would never die. And, it's re- you know, they did a 30 for 30 on it. It wasn't one of the big 30 for 30s, but I believe there is one. So it's not something that's like totally out of the eye. But I mean, I, it know, was Car- eclipsed in 1994 by the OJ stuff. Yes. You know, that it feels like at the time it was happening, it seemed like nothing would ever be bigger. And then uh, a few months later, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson would uh, be murdered. Yeah. And we haven't found the killer yet, but we're still looking for it. Right. There's no making a murderer of uh, Jeff Galuli. No, but there was a 30 for 30. Like, it's not something that's totally out of the public eye. But yeah, I think the no millennials. Like, I, I, would, I would be curious if, like, the Mike Blooms of the world, who are a little younger than us, like, even know yeah. what this is talking about. Yeah. The people versus Tanya Harding. I don't know if it's, uh, it's happening. Amir says, I don't understand why George is playing softball for an improv team. Are we to assume that he's been part of the improv world and he's never mentioned it? George is absolutely not a yes and kind of guy. 
He's a come with guy. Yeah, he is a come with guy. Listen, Jerry said we need a ninth. Some I have a friend who's really good at softball. And like not anymore because he, he's older and he just moved out to New York City. But like he's like a legendary softball player. And people would like email me and like, what's his number all the time? Mm-hmm. Like we have a playoff game and it, like he would be a ringer. Like yeah. he could have charged and people would have paid him. He's so good at softball. Yeah. Uh, and, and it'll always be like, oh, it's a, you know, it's like a like a league that's for, you know, dentists or whatever. But nobody's nobody's asking for your medical license that, you know, before you before you swing the bat. Right. Amir also says George refers to his impact with Bette Midler as a clean play. He says literally every softball league has a slide rule. What he did was clearly illegal and he obviously should have been called out. Yeah. I don't know. The guy who bowled me over in intramural softball when I was in college uh, was not called out. Yeah. But I feel like that, you know, it's, intramural softball in college is different than like a 50 year old living legend lady. <laughs> I guess so. Coming down the pike. Yeah. And he also says, why does George wear number 17? He should have requested number seven for his idol, Mickey Mantle. You know, when you're like a ringer, you don't get the number that you want. You know, you're, you're the last man there. Yeah. And what is Jerry? Like number two? I think he's two. Yeah. Okay. He's maybe Jer- Early Jeter reference. Yeah, maybe Jeter wore Very Yankee. I feel like now Jerry would have gotten them to look like Mets uniforms. I'm yeah. not sure why, why they're essentially Yankees replicas. Yeah. White uniform with pinstripes. Maybe these were the leftover cotton uniforms that George had gotten. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> they like someone had to another season six callback. All right. Uh, and then finally, Chester writes in to say, why are Jerry and Janice sitting so far away from each other in the first scene? Who invites a girl over to watch a movie and then sits on a different couch? Hashtag Netflix and chill. Woo. Yeah, it's a good point. Not, I don't know his game there. It's, it's pretty questionable. Hey, at least Jerry didn't fall asleep. That's right. And there's no Hulu and Hang here either. <laughs> to call back a very early episode. Uh, why does George have one metal bat and one wooden bat? Have you ever seen someone use a wood bat in softball? Oh, boy. That's a Chester. Yeah. And then Chester also wants to know, how does George know that going backstage is the worst? Has he dated that many actresses? Uh, are you familiar with the lady from the, uh, the you know, when who threw chocolate on him? Yeah. She was an actress. He went backstage there. Also, uh, the pianist, uh, that, that was uh, rough for George to go backstage. That's right. Yeah. We've at least seen him go backstage twice. I don't know what Chester's talking about. Also, Chester says, I like the callback that Kramer doesn't know what, well, you made the long journey from Milan to Minsk is he's the only one who didn't go to see Rochelle Rochelle the movie. Yeah, that's a good point. And then finally, uh, why did the crowd all act so shocked when Bette Midler wouldn't be performing? The episode established that her injury is already citywide news. I think they know that she's injured. Does everyone know that she's out two weeks or is that just like a people in the know thing? I mean, that was reported on the news. That's where yeah, we that's got true. That we see it on TV. Good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen, it was the pre-internet age. Maybe nobody got the paper that day. Maybe a lot of we tourists the time coming then. in to see Rochelle Rochelle and Bette Midler's yeah. return to Broadway, and maybe they were not on top of the news. That's a good point. Pre-Twitter world. All right. Yes. Keith, we also uh, got a lot of reviews uh, on our iTunes page uh, this past week to close out season six at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Uh, yes. Uh, should, we, should we read some of them? Okay, let's go through it. Give us uh, some right. of the best. All right. Uh, stu- uh, five stars from Stu to Jew. He says, I've known about this podcast for a while, but unlike Jerry and Akiva, I think he means Rob and Akiva, I have a real job and a family I'm supposed to pay attention to and don't have time even to listen to this on Alvin and the Chipmunks mode. Oh, that's a good callback. Uh, however, he's in between jobs right now. It's the summer of Stu. I've listened to four episodes so far, and I must say it's right in the meaty part of the curve, not showing off and not falling behind. <laughs> I plan to listen to all of them as I decompress. I don't know Rob, but so far I'm impressed. I'm comfortable that he'd taken my place being Keeve's uh, study partner. I was his study partner in college. I would allow him to babysit my child. Five stars for this podcast. Thank you, Stu, to you. Okay. 
it's very refreshing from KLB772. Robin Akiva had me laughing with this podcast. It's so much fun to rewatch the series through their eyes and hear hot takes on the episode. A spectacular podcast for a spectacular show. If you don't like the podcast, you are outrageous, <laughs> egregious, and preposterous. Nice. Uh, CWH25 says a great podcast about nothing. Keeve and Rob are fantastic hosts. <laughs> I didn't give this guy permission to call me Keeve. Just kidding. If you give us five stars, you're allowed to call me Keeve. NDR1234567 says I look forward to the show every week. The part where you talk about how the episode relates to modern day is my favorite. I also like the rankings. I would like an episode ranking to do different things in the show, like each of the four uh, girlfriends, boyfriend, bosses, enemy. I hope you both find another show to recap when it's all over. Uh, yeah, hope so, but who knows? Maybe, you know, who knows what's happening in 2017? Who knows? The world could be completely different by then. Uh, great listen from some stupid hipster doofuses from Who's P68. Who, who, the reviewer is a stupid hipster doofuses or where stupid hipster Oh, no, doofuses? we're stupid. It's a listen from. Like, where the, he's listening from. Like, where the hipster doofuses? I've never been called a hipster before. Doofus, yeah. yes. Uh, this, is a, this is a podcast about the show about nothing. Often the banter on the show echoes the conversations George and Jerry would have at Monks. Plus, there are fun facts, discussion about Hammer Time, and, and segments, uh, discussions about things that they would uh, start and can never continue. And he gives examples of Seinfeld scene trivia. Yes. Listen, mm-hmm. do you want us to keep bad bits going forever just because we started them? Yeah. Some things go and some th- they kill off you know, characters on Seinfeld, too. Uh, he says the end of season something different. Yeah, OK, we stopped that. If you're hip to the whole scene and into feeling good all the time, this is for you. Grab some gum, junior mints, juju fruits and enjoy the Robin Akiva as they put you in the trance deeper than Desperado. OK, that's right. All right, uh, Keith, do you have any recommendations for uh, ratings or reviews people should leave for us based on this or season six? Um, like in terms of what should they write in the thing? Right. I mean, I liked it when we told people uh, to uh, like the book, the manuscript Elaine had to read uh, when the exterminator, exterminator came of Charlie Mumphrey uh, is there or Billy Mumphrey. I think it was. Yeah, people did. A couple people did that. Well, yeah. OK. Um, all right. If you think of anything, let us know. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Uh, By the way, we passed Postshow Recaps in total ratings. So take that probably award-winning podcast, Postshow <laughs> Recaps, that we're also on. Yeah, take that. All right. Uh, Keeve, do you have a hashtag for this episode? What was the joke that I undersold because I wasn't listening? <laughs> Beach's body. Yeah, Beach's body is good. <laughs> okay, that's already going to be a trending topic after Bette Midler no retweets question. you. No, especially after Bette Midler blows up. I mean... Uh, while we did this uh, podcast, Hillary Clinton tweeted at Donald Trump, delete your account. Yeah. It has like hundreds, hundreds of thousands of uh, of like retweets already. <laughs> I feel like my Bette Midler tweet could beat that. Why'd she do that? Uh, he just he called her like lying Hillary or crooked Hillary again or something. Yeah. So she just and by she, it's the same she that Bette Midler's she, right? It's some the royal it's she. Some like it's some, uh, you know, yeah, it's a freshman in college who's an intern mm-hmm. who's tweeting for her. Mm-hmm. It's not <laughs> yeah. her. <laughs> you know without getting too political i'm not sure how she how great she is with the technology and the phone stuff yeah yeah <laughs> i don't right. know yeah well that's, that's a whole different podcast please please don't get into that all right uh so uh lots of stuff to uncover in season seven okay first episode season seven premiere keeve uh what do you want to tell us we got the engagement uh so we got susan's coming back we have uh, a dog that's really bothering Elaine, and they deal with it. Um, you know, the the, the Susan storyline is obviously the, the key through line in season seven, and I'm excited to get it going next week. Okay. 
So the season seven journey will begin. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits all of these uh, messes that we record with one another. Uh, thanks so much to Scott for getting through another season. Thanks so much to Mike Moore as well, who writes the recap of the Seinfeld post-show recap. Keeve, anything else you want to say before we sign off today? No, just thanks for sticking with us for six seasons and only three more to go. And uh, I love every fan equally. Okay. Six <laughs> down, three to go. Who knows what misadventures will go on in season seven. Looking forward to kickstarting that off next week on the road to Susan's death. Next week on... Spoiler alert, <laughs> Mike Bloom. <laughs> the Seinfeld Breakout Podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye.